welcome to the Anchored by Faith podcast, a Reformed Baptist podcast with the goal to hold to Scripture to be conformed to the image of God. My name is Colton Wright, and my co-host over here... Logan Batisti. And sorry for the big delay, but we have a good topic today, so... Life does get in the way sometimes. We have had an eventful few... Months. Months. I think July was the last time we recorded something, maybe. What'd you say? I think July was the no, last... No, no, it was September. Was it September? Yeah, it was September. We did prayer in September. It was oh. the beginning of September, but it was... <laughs> it feels like it's been so much longer than that. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah. <clears throat> but it has not been from slothness. We have been pretty busy. Yeah, we went... Been to a few conferences here and there, or yeah. at least I, I've been to a couple... Yeah, I've only and been then, to one, so. Yeah, and then we <laughs> both went to the state convention together. That was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. Got to meet a lot of new people, shake some hands. Colton was the newfound celebrity after the debate. Yeah, I wouldn't <laughs> go that far. but uh, His wife would say so. <laughs> yeah, she was getting kind of annoyed from the continual stopping. But I will say it was fantastic fellowship there. Yeah, I got to see some old school friends, so that's always fun. Yeah. But otherwise, church is going great. Yeah. We are, wow, been in the thick of it. We are working on church constitution and bylaws. I'm not doing that. I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, I am, and it is stressful. It's stressful? Man, it's stressful. I haven't got the preamble done. You have it? I have the preamble. That's the only part I've gotten done. Oh, that sounds like fun. It was about two hours of just staring at a blank screen going... Where do I start? Wait, so is it just you or is it a committee? No, it's a committee. Well, it's me and Roman and and the chairman Deacons and Kyle. And so we are, we're coming together, but I want to propose uh, a more fuller rendition of it. Oh boy. So I might be overachieving, but. You might be. (laughs) I think it will be useful. Yeah, that's totally understandable. I mean, life in the sound booth yeah. is busy. I mean, we've had so many events yeah, and upcoming events. It's not slowing down at all. No, it's going to pick up. Next month is going to be crazy. Oh, even this month, man. This month is pretty crazy. I mean, we have Thanksgiving dinner after church. Yep. Not this weekend, but next, next weekend. Yep. The 20th. Which 20th when you preach. When I preach. So yep. we'll be, thank goodness we'll be eating afterwards. Yep. Or else, bye-bye. Everyone would be asleep. More yeah, so definitely than, would be. <laughs> more so than what they will be already. Yeah. And then the third, which yep. is like a week or two afterwards. Journey of Bethlehem. Yeah. I'm pretty excited about that. I'm interested how it, being a tour guide is going to go on that. Yeah, me too. Are, are, what are you doing again? I'm a tour guide too. Okay, that's what I thought. Yeah. Yeah. See, I was trying to grow the beard out. I was going to, but like, it just finally got too scruffy to where I got tired of all the extra food in it. That's just, it's just extra. You just comb it out. And then, you know, when you lick your beard, you're like, oh, no, that's not how this was works. That, was that from pancakes? Oh man, that's good. <laughs> that's can... the. I mean, <laughs> it's just delicious. 
Right. Now, Crystal looked at me. Uh huh. So I was trying to be uh, maybe a little sneaky about growing my beard out. <laughs> yeah. And she just said, You need to shave. And I said, I can't. I'm growing it out for God. <laughs> <laughs> and she's she just looked at me. What do you mean? <laughs> I'm doing it for God. I'm doing it for the church. I gotta. I'm I'm, I'm going back to my Jewish roots. <laughs> so, as you can see now. Now it's trimmed. So that didn't work out very well. <laughs> no, it didn't at all. You tried to stick anything <laughs> by your mouth. That would never work. <laughs> I was just. I was hoping. Right. Okay. So back to the topic at hand. Um, for those of you who have missed in the break or might just be listening to us for the first time, uh, we've been doing series. We've done series on Calvinism. We've done series through Lamentations. And this is our third series, Going Through Spiritual Disciplines of the Church. We've already been through why we should do spiritual disciplines. We've been through reading the Bible studying the Bible, why we need to intake God's word. And the second one we went through in September was prayer. Mm-hmm. And now in November, we are on why we should worship. Mm. So this was, prayer was tough to get through. And worship kind of reset my eyes on how I conduct everyday life. Yeah, for me, it's always opening to see what we mean by worship mm-hmm. because there's always the ultimate de- not the ultimate definition that's not the right way to put it but the normal definition that somebody will think of when you say that is just singing songs like the first three songs yeah. through worship and the ending yeah. one and that's all that worship really is yeah we do worship and then we have a sermon right yeah or we you know, we have worship and then we have Bible study. Mm-hmm. When that's not worship, the whole encompassing of our fellowship together is is worship. Right. And then it, it really even goes further than that. It goes further than just our Sunday morning worship right. or Sunday evening or whatever. Mm-hmm. We should worship every day. Yeah, I kind of like a quote that John Piper said, worship is an end in itself. We do not eat the feast of worship as a means to anything else. Happiness in God, which is the heart of worship, is the end of all our seeking. Nothing beyond it can be sought as a higher goal. True worship cannot be performed as a mean to some other experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, everything the Christian does in his life should be worship. Mm-hmm. Doing biblical intake, worship, mm-hmm. meditating on God's word, worship, prayer, worship, mm-hmm. singing songs, worship, corporate mm-hmm. gathering, worship, fellowshipping, worship. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's just so many things that we can go with this direction that doesn't include just music, but every branch of the Christian life. Yeah. <clears throat> I love what I said before we started, Don Whitney's uh, example in the beginning of his chapter where he talks about he 
he starts with a chapter on worship where he has this his 10th birthday party and he invites all his friends and it's it's this big deal it's this big wonderful deal it's wonderful time his friends brought these presents and, and he's everyone's just enjoying themselves it's such a wonderful time and then he wants to give something back to his friends that he didn't tell them so he lets them know hey we're going to go to the high school basketball game and they all liked basketball and everyone was excited and everyone was so giddy and he says on the whole drive over there he's like i was so excited you know he's like this was literally one of the happiest moments of my life and then we get into the gymnasium and my friends that we were just so close poof they're gone can't see him he said i didn't see him the rest of the time mm-hmm. so He's like, I sat there and watched a basketball game by myself on my 10th birthday party. It ended up being from one of the happiest moments of my life to one of the most depressing moments because my friends were gone. <clears throat> well, that translates over to our relationship to God when we think that when it's a day set aside for God, such as Sunday morning, and we come, we worship, we praise, we sing, um, even we'll even say you have a good healthy uh view of worship as the entire fellowship of believers and you fellowship and you have this wonderful worship and then this day is dedicated to god and then you leave the house and you get to the gymnasium of the world where are you going mm-hmm. you're not you're not sitting where you were you're going off with the other friends you're doing everything else you're not living life that you were just a few minutes ago right and this is one that's been kind of really timely for me because part of the time in this hiatus I really did take time away from all that and spend it more on watching TV shows or playing games on my phone rather than spending time in the Word, spending time in prayer and even just spending time really in worship with God. Mm -hmm. And you can definitely see how when we don't worship God how sin really enters into our lives and Mm -hmm really just kinds of of starts to mess with it. And you can really see and tell when a Christian stops spending time in God's Word because things don't really start to add up with the desires that we're supposed to have. Yeah. Absolutely. When you, you know, when you're sitting there professing to be a Christian, but yet you slip on curse words every now and then, you know, that happens. Mm-hmm. But uh, for me, I tend to know the further I drift away, ah, it's a lot easier to say those bad words. Stub your toe, mm, that's one of the first words that come to your mouth, <laughs> you know? Well, that reminds me of the one, the one time that you can find a Baptist that will speak multiple languages <laughs> and has the gift of tongues. The gift of tongues, yep. It's when they stub their toes. <laughs> I saw that meme. Yeah. That was great. When every Baptist turns Pentecostal. <laughs> yeah. And it is, you know, when we, I I get so caught up in Sunday worship. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I kind of felt, I felt convicted by that story because that's me on Sundays. A lot of times is Sunday, you know, I give it all to the Lord. It is, it is the Lord's day. I'm, I'm prepping myself from the time I wake up. And then Monday rolls around. I'm just back to my normal routine. I won't open my Bible in the mornings. I'm lucky if I pray before I leave the house. Right. 
it's convicting. Mm-hmm. When we think about what Jesus says to the woman at the well, he says, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming mm-hmm. when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Mm. So obviously, yeah, spending time and fellowship is great. And I know Donald Whitney hits on this verse at some point in time during this chapter, but... I don't really want to go through this episode any longer without going to that because it's really sets the tone for where we need to be in explaining worship. Yeah. We need to be in the truth. We need to be spirit and the truth. That is really, when you think about it, your entire body, every essence of you. Right. To your core. I mean, it it goes back to when Jesus is kind of summing up the Shema, Mm -hmm. essentially, and tells us we're supposed to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Mm-hmm. And am I missing something? Heart, soul, mind, and strength. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's everything. Yeah. Because in the spirit, that's part of your emotions. That's part of the heart inside mm-hmm. of you, while truth is knowledge. That's, you know, in, in the Shema, you know, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart. Mm-hmm. Uh, heart is, you know, in Hebrew, it's not, it's not the organ that pumps blood. No, it's like your kidney or yeah, something, yeah, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like your kidney, but I when don't it, know if it's your kidney. When it mentions but... your heart, it's the seat of emotion. It is your your spirit. Right. It's your your essence, who you are, and that's why he's saying you should love the Lord of God with all your being. Mm-hmm. You know, not just the fluttery cupid love shot with an arrow type thing, but all your essence, all your being is completely given to God. Right. And I mean, even thinking about that, when you come to this idea of like, what does it mean to love Hmm. God? I mean, there's so many Greek words that they try to use to describe it, but ultimately the one they come up with agape means loving with everything. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's the only thing I hate about the human language, or not human language, English language, mm. is that when it comes to love, we have to predicate it with, I love you like a brother. Yeah. While they could just say, for instance, Philadelphia. There you go. Philadelphia. Yeah. Brotherly love. Yeah. Instead of us, we have to say city of brotherly love. Yeah. Philadelphia, one word. It. Mm communicates that whole thing right there yeah yeah it's greek very expressive language extremely expressive and much more concise than english you don't have to have all these adjectives and you know so on and so forth but maybe it's just because as humans we're trying to define love and maybe we're looking in all the wrong places to define what love really is Mm -hmm. i mean Is it something that's selfish? Is it something that grants us our desires? Is it something that serves the needs of others? Or is it something that is designed to worship the creator who made us? Hmm. 
And I'd say it probably is definitely first and foremost the, the last <laughs> one there, and then it then it flows yeah. from everything else. But first and foremost, that last one. Right. I mean, you get to this idea of where Jesus tells them, love your neighbor as yourself. Mm-hmm. So how do you love yourself? And then do you love your neighbors like you love yourself? Yeah. Which is a kind of form of worship, obviously, because it's being obedient to what Jesus has commanded us in the Gospels. But sorry for the rabbit trail real fast, but it's yeah. a good It's a good rabbit trail to chase. But that reminded me of uh, trying to find it right here. Just talking about that, you know, First John, mm-hmm. and talking about the importance of love, you know, First John chapter four. Uh, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. And the one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. By this, the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world, so that we might live through Him. And this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and set his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And what John, what's interesting is he, when he uses that word, know, in, in the Greek, that is the same base root of when uh, Joseph did not know Mary until after you know it, it, that knowing is an intimate relationship it's an intimate knowledge it's not just simply acquiring of facts but it's a relationship almost and when john's saying that we know god it's not a mental ascension that god exists it's a relational existence it's this relational aspect that we know god intimately mm-hmm. and that intimate love of or intimate connection with god translates into an outpouring of love and we can equate to that 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 outpouring our our intake of of or our all knowledge of god outpours in our worship of god Mm -hmm. i mean you could really you know you could almost sub out love to worship worship is the expression of our love Mm -hmm. towards god right absolutely yeah the subtitle that whitney kind of or gives us worship is focusing on and responding to God. The first thing he points to is John chapter 20, verse 28, when the resurrected Jesus appears to Thomas and shows him the scars and his hands inside. Worship happened when Thomas says to him, My Lord and my God. In Revelation 4 8, we read of four creatures around the throne who worship God day and night, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. I mean, after in verse 11, you see the 24 elders do the same thing. Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. In the next chapter, thousands of angels, elders, and living creatures around the heavenly throne of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, cry out with a loud voice. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Immediately following comes worship from every creature, saying, To him who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And that pours right into what he comments 
what the term worship means. Right. Which worship, as he notes here, says the word worship comes from the Saxon. I'm going to butcher this. So, worship, word Skype. Hope I pronounced that right. If it didn't, if there's any old English Saxon majors out there, you can correct me. It says, which later became worship. To worship God is to ascribe the proper worth to God, to magnify his worthiness of praise, or better, to approach and address God as he is worthy. He is worthy. Right. And that ultimately leaves some questions, right? How do we then find if God is worthy? I mean, we can take it at the word of pastors. We can take it at the word of people in church and other Christians. But ultimately, it's something that we have to find out for ourselves as well. Mm -hmm. Of course, in our experiences, how we view general revelation, Mm -hmm. right? Which is how God shows himself throughout the world, whether it be through calamities such as droughts such as sickness such as storms and Mm -hmm. natural disasters or whether it be something as beautiful say as waterfalls or the gigantic mountains or or life life in general or any serene thing that you can think of i mean there's just so many examples it's hard for both sides to be an exhaustive list Mm mm-hmm But there's also this idea of where you have revelation from where you study God's word and look through knowledge yourself. I mean, it comes through the experience and the head knowledge that really meld together to help understand who God is and why his character deserves to be praised and is worthy of worship. Mm -hmm. He is the supreme being the creator of all things he is the one that gives you the very life that you have he is worthy because of his glory his majesty the the fact that god is as anselm would say the, the most perfect being the perfect being of perfect beings there's nothing greater that can be conceived than god and because of that greatness there is no more worth that can be ascribed to anything more than can be ascribed to God. Right. I mean, two great books to point in direction of like the characteristics and why we should worship God. Um, You find Knowing God by J.I. Packer, Mm -hmm. The Attributes of God by A.W. Pink, and I think A.W. Tozer has one as well. That's pretty good. And those two guys who are reformed and one who's not at all. But I know that many people would still recommend his works just as much. Yeah. And I've read and enjoyed Tozer. It's definitely a refreshing opposite opinion. I haven't read too much Tozer, but he's on the ever growing list. (laughs) Ever growing list, the inexhaustive list of books. But yeah, understanding God's character is so crucial to a Christian and it helps us to understand why we need to worship and bring that worship, not just on Sunday, but throughout the week as well. To to think that, you know, reading in revelation there, 
where you have the, the, the elders sitting around the throne and, and on the four living creatures. And what are they doing continually forever is worshiping God. Holy, holy, holy worship. I mean, that's how worthy he is of worship. That he, There's four creatures. That That's all they do. They do nothing else but worship God. Mm-hmm. He is... It, to, to think of what John was seeing at that moment and the the majesty I can only picture what these what these creatures looked like like I, I can only mentally exhaust mm-hmm. so far how majestic how beautiful how worthy they would appear of worship and these four creatures are worshiping the creator of the universe and they're doing this continually well think of the seraphim too in Isaiah yeah. 6 I mean yeah. they're saying the exact same thing here yeah and he, they're protecting the holy or not protecting but helping i guess protect the holiness is the only way i can describe it but saying holy 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 is the lord all the time as well yeah and to think that these creatures are doing this we get when we get these glimpses into heaven and that will be us in eternity absolutely we'll be saying the same thing you know i'm not saying that we're all just gonna be sitting around the throne you know covering our feet and so on and so forth but we will be we will be screaming the majesty and glory of god for eternity right and if it's an eternal truth right it's an eternal reality then that means it's very important today absolutely it's kind of like the idea of how you see the man narrative through scripture and how god first tried to do it in the garden of eden right mm-hmm Humanity failed. Then he tries to do it again with the Jews and the tabernacle and later temple and failed again. And it failed again. Not that he didn't, but that he ultimately redeems us through the temple of the body and gives the spirit to live inside us, Mm -hmm. which then is still a foretaste of what is to come with Heaven coming down. Yeah. To think that uh, kind of popped in my head as we were as we were, the the missionary that came and preached, and he was talking about the, the Tower of Babel, right? And you have all these humans together, and their language the same. They're working together intric- intricately, and what they should have done, the right response, would to have brought glory to God. Mm-hmm would to in this unity in this unifying moment of humanity to bring glory to God instead they all become one and try to go against God they all rebel against God in this moment and I think a lot of times as we go through our life it's not that we rebel against God so openly but we tend to kind of when we go out to the rest of the world and to the rest of creation, we try to kind of meld ourselves into there. We speak their language and we realize we, we kind of almost fall into the same sin of Babylon there. Mm-hmm. Uh, or not Babylon, uh, the Tower of Babel. That's what I meant. Sorry, <laughs> not Babylon. The Tower of Babel. We, we go in and we, it, it's like we drop our Christianity mm-hmm. and then we pick it back up when we're maybe at home or, or, or other things. We don't think to carry this and continually worship God repeatedly and and what is it what does it look like to worship god um, that's a great question because 
there's you there's two routes that we can go with this that you have to go when you're thinking of worship there's public worship mm-hmm. and then there's private now the private is essentially you staying at home or usually not you staying home but usually in a private setting where you're reading your word so you're privately studying the word you're privately praying privately reading like this is focusing on the individual worship between you and God mm-hmm then there's kind of the public and corporate setting where it plays into your private setting, right? Mm. Where it includes you worshiping, studying with your family mm-hmm. at home. But it also includes worshiping, studying, reading with a small group, mm. which ultimately expands even more worshiping, studying, reading with your church and Mm -hmm. serving with them and gets even bigger. There's more. (laughs) There's worshiping, studying, reading, serving with multiple churches, associations, denominations, Mm -hmm. the universal church as a whole. Mm -hmm. That's the final point. So you're saying worship isn't just me and my Bible by myself separated from everyone else? No, it is not. We do not have to become monastery monks who go live in solitude in a tower in the desert. But they worship all the time. But they do worship all the time. And I'm not (laughs) saying it's such a bad thing to do that every once in a while. Yeah. But... Christianity was definitely something that was made not just just to be individualistic, but as something that is corporate as well. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. The, well, the, the, the corporate worship is easy for us to grab a hold of because we, we, we think of worship and we segregate it to what it is. But thinking about our Bible studies as worship, mm-hmm. imagine if you're coming in uh, tomorrow, which I'm getting there, I'm, I'm trying to, trying to gear and get my mindset around it. I, I've been working on it, okay. And imagine if you walked into every setting, every Bible study setting, thinking, I'm going to worship God in this study. All right. Not, I'm going to learn about, I'll pick on myself, uh, I'm not going to learn about the Abrahamic covenant. We're, go- we're going through Galatians, so. Ah, cool. So, you know, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to teach the Abrahamic covenant. no. I'm going to worship God. Right. In this setting. Yeah. And I mean, even going through John chapter three, I mean, it's not going to be focusing like how to, how do we view Jesus and Nicodemus's talk or mm-hmm. what first sign happened in John, or I can't even think of what's going on in there right now, but that's tomorrow. but ultimately like it's not just making sure everything's cut clear and dry like like i need to do this the right way for everybody else who's sitting and listening to me instead of focusing so much on that how am i worshiping god with what i'm teaching to Mm -hmm. them absolutely 
as Bible teachers, I will be the first one to admit that that is such an easy trap. Right. Because there's so many times that I've been guilty of opening God's word saying, what am I going to teach from this? Mm-hmm. What am I going to expound upon? And you're treating the Bible like a hammer. Right. Especially even like going from that perspective, it's almost like you're not learning anything from this. Yeah. The idea like, okay, this is something I already know and I understand. Mm-hmm. And you're not letting it soak into your own soul and heart to yeah. change you before you go and teach other people about it. Yeah. It's and, it's that it's the mental, you know, we've engaged our mind. Right. But we have not engaged our heart in that moment. You mm-hmm. know, the mind's working where I'm I'm sitting there and I'm I got my logos open and I'm dissecting the important texts of you know the the important words what what does the Greek mean here what is the what is the syntax of this you know how did D A Carson use this how did so and so use this you know how, what did John Calvin say about this you know what did Douglas Moo say about what it? Douglas Moo exactly <laughs> <laughs> but you know I'm oh man I'm learning all this stuff well I'm stacking all this knowledge up and it has not made any effect. Once I leave that situation, what has that study profited me? Right. It makes me think of James where he's talking about how we should be not just hearers of the word, but doers. Mm -hmm. Because you can't just read scripture and hear what it's saying, but worship is doing what is said. And that is true obedience. Mm -hmm. It makes me think of Paul Washer, how he talks about the path for Christian or life or something along the lines of like how he puts obedience after joy. Because, mm. yeah, you can dutifully do a task, mm-hmm. right? But if you just do it out of duty, are you really, are you really going enjoying it? Like, uh, Don Whitney notes in the book, he notes of, it's your wife's birthday. Yeah, I or, think he quotes yeah. another pastor who says this yeah. story, yeah. And, and, you know, and, and you go and you and you buy her flowers and you present the flowers to her. Now, there's two responses. When she says, oh, thank you, you got me flowers. And he says, it's my duty, I, I got them for you. Now, I don't think that you... <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't think that's going to work very well for you. Yeah, that's not going to Don't worry. I'm just doing my job. Somebody's going to be in the doghouse. Yep. Someone's sleeping on the couch for <laughs> probably a while. And then every year when that rolls around, the same story is going to get told. Over and, and over. over and over. And so you're going to, you know, you're doing it out of obligation. Well, the problem with obligation is you're doing it. You're doing it for the wrong reason. You're doing right. it because you're supposed to do it. Now, if you went and you bought your wife flowers and you presented them to her and you said, you know, here's these flowers because I love you and I care for you. Right. How much more does that mean? Now, you bought you bought flowers. Mm-hmm. You could buy the same flowers. What was the difference? It was the heart, the motive. Mm-hmm. And if my wife's listening to this, I'm not going to buy you <laughs> flowers. I buy you plants. <laughs> flowers die. Plants don't I guess yeah, they die but it's, it takes a while longer <laughs> yeah but it's really interesting 
to even thinking along those lines of doing things out of duty. I mean, don't get me wrong. There's times where we struggle. We're going to struggle in those situations where, oh man, I, you just pulled up to worship today and your glasses frames have broke. <laughs> your car has been hit by a deer. This is a very specific, <laughs> very specific. I wish I'd hate if that happened in the body. And work has just been tugging on you all week. I mean, and you come in to Sunday morning and you're just, just drained mm-hmm. or even Wednesday nights, like absolutely drained. Mm-hmm. And you, everybody else has their own struggles. I mean, you can put situation X, Y, and Z of what's going on that week. Uh, just see how hard it is to struggle in the desert, I guess is the best way to put it. When you don't feel like worshiping God, where mm. you find it hard to have a good reason to worship God even. Yeah. I mean, I can't even imagine like what it would be like to want to worship God. It was on a radio station today where a woman had talked about how she had lost both of her children. One had gotten run over or something like that. And it was one of those snippets that like Spirit FM or something mm-hmm. pulls to say like, here, here's why you should listen to us. Yeah. Your kid won't get ran over. <laughs> yeah. But like how Joy FM or Spirit FM was like one of the places that helps pointers towards God and mm. helps to find worship in those moments. But like, just take that situation like trying to find the momentum to even want to worship after those. I can't even imagine. Mm. Yeah. It's, it, it, yeah, it really isn't. I mean, that's a human struggle. Yeah. Because sin, the world, and even our own desires really press against us mm-hmm. as Christians sometimes to make us not see the picture, see why God's worthy of worship because we're so mm-hmm. focused on what we're feeling in the here and now. You know, for someone like, you know, in, in, in our positions, most of them, I'm speaking to me because I can only speak to me. But uh, it's so easy to you almost become prideful in your in your worship. I don't want to. How do I say this? You forsake worship for. I mean, we were talking about obedience, but you you justify your obedience in your lack of worship. God, I'm obeying. I'm doing these things. Therefore, this is, you know, that's why I don't have time to do this. That's why I don't have this. That's why I'm exhausted because I'm doing all this stuff. Right. It's kind of like how a pastor or minister can easily sacrifice time with his family Mm -hmm. and say like, God, I'm sacrificing my family time because I'm doing X, Y, and Z Mm -hmm. for the church. Like, this is my sacrifice for ministry. Mm-hmm. And usually they set up the altar of ministry as pride rather than really worshiping God through Absolutely. it. Absolutely, yeah. You know, God calls you to worship him, but not in that way. <laughs> right. 
I like how you mentioned there the, the family worship aspect as well, that different sphere of what does it look like um, for the person and then for your spouse and then moving out of that scope. And that family aspect is a really hard one. I've been working on it. We've been trying, but that's a really tough one there. Yeah. I didn't think I ever realized the importance of it until I started going to Lynn Creek or really trying to understand how to work it in mm-hmm. um, after me with an accountability partner of mine and even listening to a podcast from Chris Bass and Versailles mm-hmm. about family worship. I'd really like to get a hold of him. It's a good resource if we could put a plug in if someone's looking for something on family worship. He is part of the MBAM network, Missouri Baptist Apologetics Network, and that is his specialty. Yep. And which is an apologetic, just so you know. <laughs> yeah, because I mean that's really where worship should start. Mm-hmm. Is it starts in the individual, further influences his family, especially if he's the father. Mm-hmm. And then the family worships in the church. Mm-hmm. And I know these steps aren't as clear cut as I'm making out them out but to be. There are definitely times where it might skip a step. Your well, your your worship. Mm-hmm. So at, at the base level of all worship, <coughs> there should be the personal aspect of worship, and that personal aspect is where I'm going to start because I think personal aspect of worship is like radiation. Mm-hmm. It radiates out. And it goes to those closest to you, and it goes out to the furthest. And I think so many times we think that instead of this this radiation type of worship, it's like a hopscotch version of worship, where we're just going to skip the two spots closest to us and get to the last one. We're going to skip over it. We're going to start with the personal, and then we're going to end with corporate. Mm -hmm. And corporate being Sunday, big-time worship. And we're going to miss our entire family, our friends, our small groups, all everything in between right to get to the last one or we just completely skip everything and go to the last one or we skip every that's true we just don't we just like long jump right over the hopscotch thing right and miss the importance of corporate worship yeah or of why corporate worship is there to influence our private worship and to think about how to tell myself so like i remember I remember my secular job. This was right after I had just, uh, let's say, truly came to Christ. I was a nominal Christian forever, and I didn't, I didn't like to curse while I was at work. And I remember specifically talking with this. Uh, she was my supervisor, and she had known that I didn't do this. I didn't curse, and I. This was one of those moments where. I had my my personal worship, my worship. I was not in church. There was no worship going on mm-hmm. at this moment. We had been going to church. We quit going to church. My life was not going good. And I remember I had slipped up and I had said a curse word right there in front of her. And she just looked at me and she said, yeah, yeah, that doesn't sound good on you. You shouldn't say that. And this, she doesn't go to church. She mm-hmm. She was not a Christian. And she just called me out like right there. And it was, it was, the aspect of me not putting God in his place that really implemented, like flowed through that situation. It was 
my the fact that I wasn't worshiping God in my personal life, that I wasn't worshiping God in church. There was no worship of God, and it resulted in me drifting further away from God and pursuing my love of self and love of the world and everything like that. Yeah. I mean, it's ultimately viewed as, like you can view it as if you were training for something. Like, mm-hmm. let's say a team sport, right? I played soccer, so that's the easiest one to reference. But me and you both kind of understand football as well. Yeah. So there's definitely individual trainings in both those sports, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you have to do weightlifting yourself. You have to study the plays yourself. You have to do certain drills and practice by yourself to get better. Mm -hmm. But as an individual, there's also, you have to be able to work as a team to get it. I mean, you might be great at soccer and football, but there's other people who have to get the ball to you or else you're going to be ineffective. Mm -hmm. You could be like Barry Sanders. He's one of the greatest running backs in NFL history and, Mm-hmm. Never won a playoff game. Yep. I don't even I'm, know if he had. I think he only had a few winning seasons. Yeah, I mean, don't is it Adrian Adrian Peters? No, Adrian, the Minnesota Vikings running back. Uh, not. I mean, Adrian Peterson was Peterson. It Adrian was Peterson. Pe- yeah, yeah, Adrian Peterson, great guy. It's never won. No a Super Bowl. No phenomenal. Uh. 2,000 yards rushing, was it, it definitely once, I thought it was twice. I don't know. I don't he almost to. broke the record. Yeah, but eventually he got washed out of the Vikings and ended up playing for the Washington football team. I mean... He bounced around. Yeah, he bounced around quite a bit and almost got on the Tennessee Titans a mm. year or two ago. But same thing applies as a Christian. Like You can work to worship individually so Mm -hmm. much but at the same time like you need to train within the group as well Mm -hmm. and it kind of explained it pretty well like when we think of the word fellowship it's not something that happens and this is probably more from david mathis book on this idea that fellowship isn't just going to somebody's house and watching the Super Bowl and playing games. Like, no, fellowship was going into the trenches of evangelism, going into the trenches of serving the church and locking arms together and moving through those moments. Fellowship is during those times of crisis, during those times of hurt, being able to lock arms as brothers and sisters in Christ and being there to support, exhort, and encourage. Probably all three of those are the same definition. (laughs) But worship is something that is both individual and corporate, and we seem to forget that quite a lot. Mm -hmm. I mean, even the Christian life itself. Mm -hmm. Mentioned here in uh, the New Testament Dictionary, uh, talking about worship in the Christian ministry, so worship in in our in the broader scope, corporate, everything. Right. Um, it says the link between ministry to others and service to God is particularly obvious in what Paul says about himself in Romans one nine. He specific or he indicates that his service takes place specifically 
in the sphere of gospel ministry. Intercessory prayer is part of it. Chapter 1, verses 8 through 10. But his activity, or but gospel preaching is the focus of the goal of all his activity. Chapter 1, verses 11 through 15. In Romans 15, 16, Paul again describes his work using transformed worship terminology. As a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, he is God's designated servant, bestowing benefits on the Gentiles with the gospel. Indeed, he is engaged on Christ's behalf in in discharging a priestly ministry, showing how Paul used worship in his ministry, his corporate worship. Romans one, chapter one, verses or verse nine, is really think of that. I mean, it's a great doxology. I mean, chapter one, the whole chapter is this beautiful doxology, but it's, it is, it's God, but it's also this corporate aspect where he involves the church, the, his fellow believers in that same worship. You know, I pray for you always is what he mentions. Or is, is it Colossians that he says it like pray for you unceasingly? can't remember where that one's at. in Colossians. Maybe it's not Colossians, but it's one of those um, epistles. But this is, uh, he summarizes it and says, the notion of worshiping or serving God by means of serving one another is thus implied. We worship God through our service of one another. Our worshiping of God outflows mm-hmm. to our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. And in Paul, that worked in his letters. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was more than his letters, but right. but we can see in the window of time his his heart, his worship, and how it and how it transpired through his words. Right. I like the way that Donald Whitney had quoted David Clarkson how an instructive sermon on public worship to be preferred before private. David says the most wonderful things that are now done on earth are wrought in the public ordinances, that is, public worship, though the commonness and spiritualness of them makes them seem less wonderful. Here, the Lord speaks life unto dry bones and raises dead souls out of the grave and sulfur of sin. Here the dead hear the voice of the Son of God and his messengers, and those that hear do live. Here he he gives sight to those that are born blind, it is the effect of the gospel preached to open the eyes of sinners and to turn them from darkness to light. Here he cures diseased souls with the word, which are otherwise incurable by the utmost help of men and angels. Here he deposes Satan and casts unclean spirits out of the souls of sinners that have been long possessed by them. Here he overthrows principalities and powers, vanquishes the powers of darkness, and causes Satan to fall from heaven like lightning. Here. He turns the whole course of nature in the souls of sinners, makes old things pass away, and all things become new. Wonders these are, and would be so accounted, were they not the common work of the public ministry. It is true indeed, the Lord has not confined himself to the work has not confined himself to work these wonderful things only in public, yet the public ministry is the only ordinary means whereby he works them. Mm. I mean, this is, that is the means that God uses. The outpouring. The I love that there. I love how that ends. The, yeah, the public ministry is 
the only ordinary means by where he works them. That is the means by which he speaks life in the dry bones, raises the dead souls out of the graves. Uh, I mean, here, I mean, that's wow. Yeah. And it really gives you a new perspective of when you're going to walk into your church on Sunday, on mm-hmm. Wednesday, or even on your small groups, like these people are confessing Christians. Mm-hmm. These are people that God has raised from the dead, essentially. Mm-hmm. And he's turned their hearts of stone into hearts of flesh that worship him again. Mm-hmm. Who has done wonderful things throughout all of these people. Mm. I mean, I can think of friends of mine that where one's been thrown in jail mm-hmm. and he's redeemed them. Mm-hmm. Where lived a life of nominal Christianity, few few and multiple of them, and he's turned them around. I mean, others seen turn from drugs, seen others turn from sexual lust. I mean, mm. there's so many things that God has wonderfully done throughout the Christian body that is worthy of worship. And we're all praising him together for that because Mm -hmm. of what he's done. And we each serve as a testament to what he's done and what he proclaims in scripture. Mm -hmm. You think of, think of carrying that, carrying that mentality into your small group study. Right. Just like, coming in with that mindset that armor on like this is the god we serve now let's worship him in the small group setting of three people (laughs) you know in the family worship of you and your spouse i mean think about it this is something that just doesn't even apply to small groups but let's think of pastors of small churches Mm -hmm. i mean my grandpa he was a pastor of a church where they might have 12 on a good day. I mean, could you imagine how, I don't want to say demoralizing, but like week yeah. after week after week, year after year after year. And there's only a few people. Yeah. It doesn't seem like the message is getting out. Yeah. But yet those people there are still testaments of what God has done in that pastor's yeah. Life, yeah. life or what God does through that pastor for those people. But what about the churches who have thousands of people and multiple campuses? Still a testament of all the things that God has done for these people. Mm -hmm. And yet we don't always take the time to realize that. No. Well, we get caught up in the, the steeples, the numbers, the tides, the percentages, the, you know, Christmas shoe boxes, you know, all those things aren't necessarily bad things. Right. But they become the thing. And there's only really enough room on the altar for one. It's God. Yep. And when we set him in the right stone, he is, as I think the movie American Gospel put it, he's the facet, the ring. He's the diamond. And then you set that in the ring. Right. You can see the many facets of his glory. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there are definitely times where we need to learn how 
to make it just the facet in the ring. Yeah. I mean, there's the common story of how Matt Redman had to come up with the song um, Heart of Worship, where his church got caught up in all the smoke, all the lights, and the pastor was like, no more. Mm-hmm. Just It's either just an acoustic setting or just your voices. Can you imagine at one point in time that's all that there was was voices that would sing worship no music no instruments do you it was know, just voices and there's these things yeah. called gregorian chants <laughs> yeah yeah i just was talking about those in, in in global missions class yeah that's but i was good so i'm in global missions and uh who uh i didn't go to the sbc convention or i may i may have voted for him but uh robin hadaway dr robin hadaway mm-hmm. is my instructor and uh he it's really amazing because he always has real life i mean he this this guy's a missionary like he's seen he's been all over the world and he'll have these excerpts from like an indian worship service and you're watching an indian worship service in their native language they're not singing hymns i'm sorry they're not (laughs) you know or or, uh, what was it uh uh, a worship service in kenya and you're watching these worship service. And these people are, I mean, it's amazing. They are sold out. I mean, there's no fog machines. There's no lights. And the, the little Kenyan church that maybe you could you could fit, it's like the size of our sanctuary. Mm-hmm. You couldn't fit another person in there. And they're all just chanting. They're all just singing. All just voices. No, no, no instruments. Praising God. I mean, that, that's a powerful thing. Absolutely. Yeah. Sorry for ever asked to hear my singing voice, I guess. <sighs> Me too. But. Too. That's why I sit in the front. <laughs> no one else can hear me. That's why There's I no sit up in, in the sound booth now. <laughs> yeah. But. Nah, joking aside. Not. That is one of my favorite times is when music becomes silent and that's all you can hear is the church singing together. Proclaiming as one unified body, whatever the song is talking about. To me, there is such a wonderful moment. And, you know, don't get me wrong, I love hymns. I'm not just an only hymn guy, but there's few hymns that just just do it. You know, (laughs) they, they just... When they, give they you the just release the waterworks, the waterworks. <laughs> to me, it is it's uh, in Christ alone. When you can, when when all the congregation starts singing in Christ alone, and it's just there's there's no music, mm-hmm. or there's yeah there's no instruments, and it's just your voices, and it just it almost gets me every time. A little little tear starts starts jerking up. Yep, but it's in those times of songs and moments that really reinforce the knowledge as well mm-hmm. let's see it's in christ alone my hope is found right yep. and yep. solidifies the truth that our hope is in nothing but christ because he is the one who has saved us and redeemed mm-hmm. us and is the reason why he's worthy of worship mm-hmm. because jesus and god and the holy spirit are one and it was all their plan to do this mm-hmm. from the beginning of time and how 
magnificent is the story of redemption that before eternity like i can't i can't comprehend that i can't but before eternity god already had in the works to send his son to die for you and not just to leave you there but the spirit to dwell with you to conform you to that image to redeem not just you but your whole body intellect mind soul all of it to redeem it all and then give you a glorified body yep when you don't deserve it when you don't deserve it then you're kicking and screaming and spitting and dead (laughs) (laughs) just dead just dead not half dead. dead. <laughs> Not mostly dead. He's mostly dead. Not... <laughs> but yeah, now worship is really huge subject to go about. Why don't we go ahead and end with that excerpt you were wanting to read from the Valley of Visions. Visions. So this is the the Valley of Visions here. You guys should, everyone should get a copy because it is really fantastic. I finally got mine. It is fantastic. The, uh, the prayers have really helped me. But anyway, this is uh, of worship. Just listen to these words. Glorious God. And maybe, sorry, note this. This is a prayer. Note that. Okay. Glorious God, it is the flame of my life to worship thee the crown and glory of my soul to adore thee, heavenly pleasure to approach thee. Give me power by thy spirit to help me worship now, that I may forget the world, be brought into fullness of life, be refreshed, comforted, blessed. Give me knowledge of thy goodness, that I might not be overawed by thy greatness. Give me Jesus, Son of man, Son of God, that I might not be terrified, but be drawn near in filial love with holy boldness. He is my mediator, brother, interpreter, branch, daysman, lamb. Him I glorify, and him I am set on high. Crowns to give I have none, but thou hast given I return. Content to feel that everything is mine when it is thine, and the more fully mine when I have yielded it to thee. Let me live wholly to my Savior, free from distractions, free from carking care, from hindrances to pursuit of the narrow way. I am pardoned through the blood of Jesus. Give me a new sense of it. Continue to continue to pardon me by it. May I come every day to the fountain and every day be washed anew, that I may worship thee always in spirit and truth. Amen. Amen. Yeah. So if there's one thing that we really want you to take away and understand what worship is, is that there is private worship, <laughs> and there is public worship. Both of them influence each other, mm-hmm. but all of them really point to the worship of what God has done in our lives. Mm-hmm. Not just because He saved us, not just because He created us, and not because He will glorify us and give judgment on the final day, but because He's done all of those together mm-hmm. in His own power in his own will, in his own sovereignty. And he is worth it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, thanks for listening to Anchored by Faith. You guys can find us on most major podcasting sites, such as iTunes, Spotify, iHeart, and multiple others. 
You can find us at our website, anchoredbyfaith.podbean.com. Feel free to be on the lookout for a new podcast. And remember the idea that we're trying to convey is to help both you and us be conformed to the image of God, which is found in Romans 8.28, which if you look at our username tag on Twitter, would be at ROM829ABF. Thanks for listening, guys. My name is Logan. My name is Colton Wright. Have a good night. And God bless.